This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Dune by Gale Force 9. Episode 105, Dune, Learn to Learn. Music by Brian Capillis. Hosted by Hunter Donaldson and Matt Martins. Well, here we are. It's the first day of school again. It's the I'm first excited. day of school. Oh boy! It's the I new wore semester. my Sunday's best. Mm-hmm. I'm here with my comb, my my hair perfectly coiffed. I'm and... wearing a bow tie and a pork pie hat. <laughs> Please describe what a pork pie hat is to me, because I am. You know, you naive. know those like really flat hats with the like. Hmm. Uh. Let me just sit. It's like what, uh, like almost like a carnival barker hat. Uh, okay. No, that's not really. <laughs> wow, it's funny that when you search pork pie, the first thing that comes up is pork pie hat. Yeah. Um. So not pork pie. So this is not exactly the way I've, I. I more think of the classic pork pie hat. I feel like is kind of like a straw hat with like a red band around it. Sure, Buster um, Keaton. Yeah, Buster Keaton hat. Got he it. Wore those. Yeah, they're they're just kind of classic, fancy. You know, you know what? Walter White wears a pork pie hat oh, whenever okay. he's like Heisenberg in right. Breaking Bad. It's almost a fedora, but not. Yeah. Quite. So welcome to Space Cats Beast Turtles. Hi. This is a hat <laughs> show about hats, and you know I'm gonna want you to rate us on iTunes with that. So don't yeah. even, just forget about just forget it. Forget about it. Yeah. Hey, we should do the thing that we always or like we get like 30 minutes into these podcasts and we're like, mm-hmm. ah, we forgot to say something. Right. Uh, first off, this is gonna be a Dune episode. We're here. We're in Dune. But before we get into Dune, we are normally a Twilight Imperium podcast, and we are mm-hmm. currently doing signups for our 2020 Patreon tournament of Twilight Imperium, and we want to get as many people in it as we possibly can. We are literally shooting for 216 people this year. Yes. Uh, yes so we yes. need everybody interested to get in on it. All you have to do is sign up for our Patreon, even the, the minimum amount, $1, $1 to enter into a tournament. That's the way to think about it. It's it's the cheapest tournament you've ever entered. Yes. Uh, so one dollar to our but, Patreon, but, but and then give, we will you send can out give more. You can give more. If you can you have do to. all kinds more. There's lots of other perks. But if you know, d- like, don't think of it being a huge tournament submission fee. And yes. more importantly, uh, I get lots of messages recently of like, okay, but how do I actually sign up? That will come out later. I'm gonna send out like an official form to everyone who is a patron during the months of October and November. You will get a form that is how you actually enter into the tournament. So those yes, are yes, coming. Yes, yes, yes. We just have to get we we kind of roll out the patron for a little bit, and then if you are a member in either October or November, you get the link to the sign up page. So yeah. if you're looking forward to the ter- the 2020 tournament, that's how you do it. Now we can move on to a completely different board game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we are going to be talking about Dune. Um, I I want us to kind of get everyone started on the right foot. Um, if there are any of you that have like kind of started getting into the game, yeah. um, you you just got your copy somehow. Yeah. It's I like know just now available in like Barnes and Noble and stuff. Like they just like literally this week 
Dune became available to the masses yeah. in like a pretty significant sense. So yeah. get out there and get the copy if you haven't already. And and actually before before we really get deep into our um our like kind of setup here, do you feel like Dune is a very hard game to learn or like what are some of the more obvious like pitfalls you feel like? Uh, Dune is super interesting. Uh, we didn't get our copies of Dune for a little bit, and the other game we're going to try to start talking about is Root, and trying to learn Root was actually quite a mountain, it felt mm-hmm. like, and mm-hmm. Dune feels, like, scaled back from that, and more importantly, it feels like even less pressure. Yeah. Uh, the biggest vibe I've been getting out of Dune is there are just so many crazy things that can happen that, like, it's not worth your mental energy to, like stress about them and like I'm a, I'm a very analysis paralysis kind of player but I I just can't even go there with Dune generally like it's it's too it's going too fast for me it's too much to think about and too many surprises that can happen that you kind of just like you know what let's just let go and, yeah, and let, it, roll let it let it, it happen yeah I, I really am way better at just rolling with it with Dune and in that way it has made it a much easier experience to learn the game yeah yeah, I also like there there's something interesting about, you know, in Twilight Imperium we have there there is the the cardboard and the plastic on the table and then there is all of the above the table play that we yeah. talk about a lot on this show. Um meta, if you will. Uh, I feel like the Dune meta just kind of comes in once you know it. Like it doesn't right. it's not like you start the game and right away the meta is just going to be there. You might not even understand when you start that there's ever going to be any play like that until people start doing that stuff. Right. I like that aspect of it. Yeah. And then it becomes the whole game. Once, right. once every one of your players gets clued into that, it's like, oh, the rest of this stuff actually isn't the game. <laughs> it's it's right. everything that we've decided to do above the table. Right. Um, and in that way, that's kind of why you do have to... I remember when I was only playing Rex. I played like Rex like three times once a year, basically. Um, but every time I played it, it felt like oh, this game is interesting, but it feels so incredibly complex in what the strategy options are that I have no idea what to even do. Mm-hmm. And 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 digging deeper into Dune and playing it way more frequently, it's very interesting to start to explore that. Like, what? how do I actually need to think about like the pacing of this game and what, what my actual strategy should be on kind of a, a more, you know, grain granule level? Um, so I, I think... The whole thing with it is sort of like you'll get there. But like yeah. you said, don't just don't worry about it at first. So today right. we're going to go over. We, we don't call it a learn to play because we're not going to teach you how to play Dune. Uh, right. There are so many other people that are just way better at that. Well, well, more versed, better teachers, all that. We want to teach you how to learn to learn dune what what's the way that you need to approach getting into this game what is your kind of mentality to be what is your how do you need to treat the other players mm-hmm. just what's going to set you up the best to actually learn the game not what's going to set you up to be the best player we're not worried about that yet we just want to get you to understand the fundamentals of the game and what are the things to focus on in the correct order to make that happen right this is kind of like i i think the way we structured uh, the twilight imperium version of this and I I think that we're carrying that over to here is we're trying to think about how would how, like how do we want to even approach learning the game and and like what what is a good first like 
first uh, kind of s- overview of it, essentially, yep. from from the outside. Um, we will, I mean, obviously, in discussing the rules, you will kind of learn a little bit about them, but we are not going to rigidly go through um, the rule book here. Right. Uh, but one thing I want to mention at the very top that's very interesting about the rule book of Dune that I haven't seen a lot of other games go for is that they essentially offer you two sets of rules there are the basic rules which is a pared down version of the game that is altogether simpler more straightforward Uh, it does have it has some flaws that we will discuss Um, and then there is a more advanced set of rules that kind of go on top of that Um, and I think in in looking at it at first it took it took me and Matt a few um, a few goes to figure out like how we wanted to approach this and i think altogether we both feel that you should play the basic rule set like it's a good way to get yeah. into the game it's less for you to learn yeah. um, the idea here being that you're going to play the basic rules for like you know a couple games maybe about five games even um and then you're going to move on to the advanced rules and you're probably never ever going to look back unless it's just like your weird preference or whatever yeah but the basic rules i think are very good if you think of them as just an onboarding tool instead of it being like well there's these two ways to play it's like they're really the same way to play with one of them being far less complex than the other Right, this is an improvement on old versions of Dune where they basically just had a bunch of optional rules and a bunch of advanced rules, and they've turned it into just these two modes. And I just very much think that new players should consider it. Don't think about it as like, oh, I want to get I want to get to the good stuff. I want to play the good game. Well, Dune has this really weird thing where, there's first off, there's lots of exceptions to rules that are hard to just like remember from the mm-hmm. onset. Mm-hmm. And even more so, the advanced rules adds just all of these really, really crazy rules that interact with things in incredibly different ways, which is why it's just not worth it to dive into the deep end. It, it's You will confuse too many things, and it's not worth it. Um, so the biggest thing is just just get yourself started on the basic rules. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. The basic rules are very fun for five of the players. <laughs> we'll get into that later. Right. But five of the six players are going to have a great time with the basic rules. Uh, and, and yeah, you just can't worry about kind of all the other things because you really do with this game need to spend a few games really getting a grasp of it. This isn't one of those games where you sit down, you play it one time and like you had a great experience that one time and then, you know, maybe it'll come back to the next game group. Dune is sort of meant to be played with a solid group of six people over and over and over again mm-hmm. because it's very much is designed around like we were saying earlier those meta games are going to start to develop but before any of you can develop that meta game you have to get a solid understanding of everything else which right. starts with the basic rules yeah honestly if twilight imperium had a mode like this i would probably recommend it to people if there was a way to play twilight imperium with yeah. like half the rules turned off right i would love that that would be that would be fantastic yeah. um one one thing we want to recommend that's pretty straightforward is to stick to a single faction for the first couple games. Yeah. Um, the way that Dune works is it's like a it's kind of a little uh, ecosystem in that there are various relationships that you'll see that start to make sense between all of the factions. I mean, there there are in some in some of the ways it's really obvious. There are some factions that are literally there. The economy of the game is like, well, in this phase we give all of our money to the emperor, or <laughs> right. in this phase we give we give all of our money to the spacing guild. But understanding that ecosystem is very important for 
like actually playing the game on a higher level anyways. Yep. So I think the easiest way to get a grasp of that is just keep just keep your eye on one of them for a minute. Right. Just figure out, oh, I'm playing Atreides. I'm going to play Atreides next game as well. And I want to kind of figure out like, okay, what is my relationship to these other factions? Exactly. Because as you unravel one, you're going to understand... Uh, the others they're not they're not going to be all that foreign to you with the exception of maybe one or two factions i would say right and it's just kind of jarring to like invest a, a whole game in you know maybe atreides and then your next game abandon everything you just learned about atreides to now learn about the spacing guild yeah it's it's you're not getting enough consistency there to actually learn really what's happening throughout all the steps of the game and i love hunter what you're saying about kind of like it really is about building the relationships with the other factions so if you start to really understand how Atreides thinks about Space and Guild and how they think about a Harkonnen and how they think about Bene Gesserit, after three or four games, then when you jump into the Space and Guild seat, you get to go, okay, now how does this feel from the other side? Right. And, and that completely changes how you interact with all of the components and how you think about everything. So it, it really just helps to reinforce a lot of aspects of the game to really dig into one faction at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that I, I kind of feel like this next thing is uh, a very general, like, good piece of advice for learning basically not even just new board games, basically yeah. anything, um, yeah. is as you guys are playing um, each round, talk through what you're doing with the group, especially that first round. I, I, oh, it, yeah. th- a lot of this depends on, you know, how quickly does your group pick up board games? Some of them might be, you know, like maybe you hang out with a bunch of strategy jocks and uh, maybe you don't even need this episode or whatever. But (laughs) I think for most people, what's really helpful is to kind of be like, all right, we're going to go into this game. And the first round, um, it's not really going to be about keeping secrets from each other or, you know, building, we're not going to go right into this game and start like planning and scheming. What I'm going to do is like set a tone of openness and kind of explain um, especially if I'm the more experienced player, um, like if I'm teaching a group of people, I'm definitely going to do this. Uh, I'm going to explain what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Yeah. Um, and this also encourages people to speak up if they have questions, which like you definitely need to establish yeah. that within within the group. It right. can't just be like, oh, somebody's quietly reading their um, faction sheet, not understanding it, but they don't want to ask a question because it's going to like give something away or exactly. whatever. You don't want that to happen. What you want to happen is people are kind of making these connections and then confirming that, oh, this is how it works. Okay, now I understand. Um, so yeah, especially with the way that, that Dune kind of flows as a game, um, if you just kind of take if you just kind of take each round as they come and just like figure out like, okay, well, like where are we at? Do we need to stay open? Like, you know, if you get to round two and it's like, it still seems like we don't quite get it yet. Let's keep being really open and transparent. And then, you know, maybe you get to round four and you're like, all right, I think we're ready to kind of put the, you know, put the walls down and start conniving. Then good on you. You know, I think that's the way to do it basically yeah it's a tough urge to to resist as well because i i mean the whole thing that dune is sold on is this this treacherous conniving little game and you want to dive right into it but you're gonna do yourself no favors by doing that immediately if you literally don't know how all the different factions operate so it is a it's a very big deal to try to uh you know 
invest in everyone's strategies at the tables so that you even understand how you're supposed to connive against them. You know what I mean? Right, you, right. You, you don't get to just decide you're going to be treacherous against the Spacing Guild when you don't understand that the Spacing Guild is going to out, uh, it, you know, get more forces on the board than you, like, hand over fist. They're going to completely right. de- decimate you. If, if you go into it that way, you're going to only have ruined your first game. So instead, if you are all working together, not quite playing a cooperative game, but but playing cooperatively above the table to just mm-hmm. so understand things, you don't get completely gutted at something that was a very easy thing to understand. The, right. the whole gist is like, you're not going to feel ready your first yeah. couple games. You're not going to feel confident at all. And you need to just like lean into that and let everyone feel that way. It's, it's a much harder thing if you are one new player at a table with five other experienced players. That's uh, hopefully they'll play ball with you. Um, but if it's, you know, for, I think for Hunter and I both, we were playing with like all six new players. So it was very easy for all six of us to just be like, Hey, let's, let's just all be very chill. And like, let's actually learn this game because there's a lot to learn. And, and again, to kind of reinforce the point from earlier, the point is that you, the, the best way this game is played when you get to play it often with the same group of people. Um, and that's really what you're working towards ideally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's, it's six people that know the game really well, so you can all just make each other so upset. You know, that's <laughs> right. that's what we want. We want to get everybody up to speed so we can start hurting each other's feelings <laughs> and stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, also, one thing I want to piggyback on is uh, if you're all very open and, and kind of sharing all, the, all this information with you, uh, with each other, uh, you will learn the other factions quicker because... Yeah. You will understand not only what the other factions can do, but maybe why they're doing that. Exactly. You know what yeah. I mean? If somebody says, "Oh, Eureka! I just realized why I need to to um, with the Fremen. I realized, oh, I don't really need to depend on you guys as much." Yeah. Uh, ex- like seeing that and having someone explain that makes you realize, like, oh, I don't have that leverage. You know, if I'm the Spacing Guild, I don't have the same leverage on the Fremen as I might on any of the others. Um, And, and now we kind of have, uh, we have like a list that we've kind of made, which is essentially just like, we're imagining that you, you have like the faction sheets and the rule book and all of the literature of the game in front of you. What is the best way to kind of tackle that? Where where do we start with that, Matt? What's the first step? Well, this this was your suggestion um, more than mine, but I think oh. it's really interesting uh, this first one because it's it's a really kind of counterintuitive way to think about it, which is why I think it's really important to note. Which mm-hmm. is read your faction sheet first. Yeah, uh, and I think a lot of people are going to be like, but there's so much to uh, like. There's going to the, the, your faction sheet is going to reference phases of the game that you don't fully understand yep. yet, and there's going to be th- like you're you're not going to understand what you're reading at all. But like that is okay. What you're going to be doing is getting terms and whatnot in your subconscious, so that when you read the rules, if you if your group has all invested in like, okay, we're each going to play one faction for the first two or three games. Um, so okay. I'm a Harkonnen player for these first few games. Let mm-hmm. me read this Harkonnen sheet. I don't understand anything I just read. But now, as I read the rest of the rule book and we learn the rest of the rules, I will have things chime in and be like, oh, wait, that's when my thing is different. Okay, and right. that's when my thing is different over there as well. Uh, the, the game is almost 
more difficult to learn in the reverse order because the rule book is structured in such a way to describe things as though everyone is a vanilla faction with no abilities. Right. But that doesn't exist. There is no vanilla faction. The most confusing example I can give is the rule book explains how to pay for shipment in the board game. And it says you pay the bank. But you don't pay the bank. You pay the Spacing Guild. And then when you play with the Spacing Guild, on the Spacing Guild's sheet, it says players pay you instead of paying the bank. And right. you pay the bank. But if everybody had read the rule book first, they would go, I'm supposed to pay the bank. And then you're constantly trying to chime in and be like, no, 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 but you're supposed to you're supposed to pay me. And I know that's really confusing and blah, blah, blah. If right. you had read your whole thing beforehand, you would go, okay, I know that everybody's supposed to pay me. And when you are all learning about paying for shipment and the and the person teaching the game goes and you pay the bank, you get to go, well, actually, everyone will always pay me. And you get to chime in there and get that information out there right away. So it's, it is really important to kind of get your faction head, get, put your hat on first, and then start to, you know, start to learn how well, everything I, bases itself around that. I think the reason uh, that I that I think it's important to open with uh, learning the faction sheet, or, or it's not necessarily about learning it, but just like reading it and getting an idea of like, what type of faction is yeah. this? It's my version of the like, I always think it's best to learn a game by starting with theme. Um if you thematically understand the game, then a lot of the rules will kind of fall into place as you learn the rules. Yep. Like, if somebody just hands me, if somebody's like, all right, you're the Benny Gesserit, and I've never read Dune or anything, uh, I'll be like, okay, I guess I'll just... I'll just figure it out. But if someone hands me the Benny Gesserit and they're like, "Yeah, you're like uh, you're like psychic space nuns," even <laughs> though that's like really goofy, at yeah. least I know now. Oh, I'm a psychic space nun, so right. maybe that will make sense within the context of the rules. Benny Gesserit is probably a bad example for what I'm saying, <laughs> but <laughs> what I mean is like if you hand me if you hand me the Spacing Guild and you're like, "Oh, you you guys are like the money guys," right? Um, I at least know that. And now, as I'm reading the rules, I'm like, okay, well, where does my money guys fit into this? And then you find it, and you're like, right. oh, I fit in right there. It's perfect. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So once you've done that, once you've just like not understood your faction, but become familiar with a lot of the terms and timings of your faction, now you can learn the game. And the main thing about learning the game is this is a very uh, this is a very old game, and it takes from a, a kind of older design philosophy, which is just like segment everything into pieces yeah uh yeah. so there there are nine phases of this board game that you play in order every round and the first thing you're going to need to learn is really how those phases all operate what each phase is that i mean once you learn each phase you've literally learned the entire game so it's very easy but the bigger note within even that is while you're learning the phases learn which are the phases that you're supposed to actually pay attention to right because right. there are nine phases but only four of them are when you really do stuff the other five phases are just like a really quick cleanup thing or like a mm -hmm. it, it's like an incredibly basic automatic thing that just happens so what you have to be able to learn to distinguish is when action takes place and when we sort of reset and calibrate and figure you know see where right. the game is right. taking place now um and as you get those things set in stone, you understand how the pacing kind of works out, not only just in the game, but also for each faction. The, the best example I have for that is in the bidding phase, which happens very, very early, 
everyone is throwing money at the emperor. So each player is going to be learning, oh my gosh, the emperor is getting just so fat and happy. And the emperor is like, oh my gosh, I'm getting crazy rich. And this the, the game has only just started. But then the shipping and movement phase is going to come along and all of that money is going to filter over to the spacing guild instead. And just learning that, that how that kind of process takes place throughout the, the course of one round is really crucial in learning how the, not only the economy of the work uh, of the game works, but the, how the just sort of pacing of movement and how everything mm-hmm. happens. The, I think the biggest thing you'll learn, this is something that's sort of true with twilight Imperium that I always used to try to, emphasize to people is within a single round you do a lot less than you feel like you should do yeah there's not much that happens in a single round for yourself on an individual level there's a ton that happens because all six players are doing a thing but for you alone you're not going to do that much and so you just need to follow the phases so that you see when it's important to do things and how big of an impact those things have on the table right I'm going to add a little something to that and say that not only is it important to see how the money travels between the players from phase to phase, but an important aspect of that is learning how much one spice is worth. Um, And I will say this is probably the only drawback to the going with basic rules and then advanced rules because you will have to kind of relearn that because the spice has a diff there's a different spice economy basically yeah, as far as yeah. the value goes um but in learning like oh like like i see something that happens frequently where uh a new player will enter the first bidding phase and they'll be like all right well i guess this i guess i'll probably get lots of this spice or whatever so i'll just you know blow a lot of my money right. in that first bid and then come to find out oh it's hard to get more spice um essentially depending on what uh faction you're playing basically um so you do i i feel like in watching the phases you kind of learn like okay so this is where people make money um and there's not going to be a whole lot that goes around so i the sooner i learn how much one spice is worth the sooner i can understand the economy of the game basically Yeah, and seeing that transfer of money take place like between the players to the Emperor and then between the players to the Spacing Guild and watching it move, it helps you learn how you're supposed to treat your your other players, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's the very first round, it's going to feel absolutely insane that em- the Emperor is making as much money as they're making. And then the first shipment of movement, it's going to feel crazy that the Spacing Guild gets to just be so rich. And all the other factions are going to be like, how is this a fair game right. at all but what you slowly learn is like the money the spice itself isn't what like completely dictates everything that happens in the game It, it it's the movement between the things and it's how you interact with the emperor because you've given all of them you know you've given them all of that money right there's so much more to it than just the economy uh, yeah. Whereas so many other dudes on a map game are about, well, I have to build my engine and I have to get that engine working so that I have a really good you know, flow of economy so that I can then consistently pump out dudes. You don't, you don't do that in this game. You don't just consistently pump out dudes in this game. You, you, you find targeted strikes. And so you have to learn how that money is transferring so that you know when it's the perfect opportunity to spend your money. Because you're right. maybe not going to spend your money every single round. Right, right. Another very important resource is information. And this one is maybe um, harder to grasp within the context of this episode, but spice is obviously important mechanically to the game. Um, The other 
important piece uh, involves specifically the Atreides for the most part. Um, right. uh, probably our favorite rule in the game is uh, that Atreides gets to know um, where various cards go. Essentially, they 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 get to view them, um, and in that knowledge, uh, Atreides can essentially know what everyone's hand of cards is for the most part, with some exceptions. Right. That information is essentially a tradable commodity. Right. Um, and learning, oh, like that, that is not the only thing that I can deal with uh, is when things start getting more advanced and uh, super spicy. Obviously, right. that will probably be one of the last things that falls into place yes, with your yeah. group. At this point, you, you're not really totally getting your head grasped around how the information travels until you really start to even understand what the information is, right? You have to learn like what the cards are and how many units are good to have on the board and blah, 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 blah. But from that point, once you get to understand, it's not just the Atreides, but it's sort of like understanding how the information of Harkonnen has twice as many cards as everybody else. And that's mm -hmm. like an important thing of how you need to treat the Harkonnen. And they have four traders, whereas the rest of us have one. So so that that just that information they hold over us means they attack differently. You know, mm -hmm. they get to attack people in a different way because they have a specific leader as the trader. The same thing goes with the Bene Gesserit, the use of their ability, which is called the voice, information is the only thing they have at their disposal to be able to use that ability properly. So as you learn all the different components, learning who has what information helps you learn how to better hide your information. And this right. is why early on in the game, we don't want everybody to just be hiding information because you have to learn what is important to hide and how you hide it and who can know it outside of you hiding it. Uh, so, so at this point, once these things start to click, once these dominoes start to fall, that's when you understand. And and now it's time to start keeping secrets from each other. And now it's time to to understand, you know, who has the most information and who should I be afraid of because of that information. So, we've kind of done some overview of like obviously we need it's kind of factions phases and then a lot of economy stuff uh money information but we haven't really talked about combat at all right what like when is it a good time to like how much fighting is in dune i right. think is a really good it's uh, it's so funny that there's so many elements to this game and then the only way to actually win the board game is territory control right right and, and that's the perfect question, Hunter, is like how much fighting actually happens. And I think for newer players, too much fighting yeah, happens yeah, generally, is basically yeah. the answer. Uh, but the, the big kind of final thing you really learn about Dune is, and we sort of pushed on this a little bit earlier, is it's not about progress and building engines. It's purely about finding opportunities to make that last ditch effort to strike it's like okay mm -hmm. now we're gonna hit right now because this is the exact moment i see their weaknesses i see that i have a temporary strength you really play each round by itself it's like round by round by round there's a little bit of crossover you can kind of take one round and go well i don't have anything this round so i need to use it to build into the next round but then you don't plan four rounds in advance that just mm -hmm. doesn't happen there's too many things that can happen so what you're instead doing is trying to find out when it's time to strike. And what you're what what you're learning throughout the game is, okay, I know who has what information. I know who has what money. I know who has what units already killed. And based on all of that information, I can see that this is now the weak point. 
I need to jump on it. And that's sort of your final piece to the puzzle of how to actually win the board game is based on all of those components. Boom. This is the moment I have to strike and I have to do it right now because it's, it's the best opportunity I have to try to win this game. Yeah. Um, and it's very, it's very critical to not get into fights that are, um, oh, how do I want to put this? Like petty. I've seen a lot of newer players uh, just kind of do combat, like just because they kind of feel like it, or yeah. or they're do, they're fighting for something that isn't really worth enough. Um, right. And and I think the two important aspects mechanically to cite for this is that each player only gets twenty dudes max. Right. 20 dudes max. That's that's all you get. Um, and there is an interesting kind of gating effect that happens. Basically, when your dudes die, they go to a dude bank, essentially. <laughs> and, and when they're dead and in the dude bank, you can only get, like, maximum of three back, essentially. So how if you, if you load up 15 dudes and you risk them in this big fight that isn't even for the game, right? and then they all die... You are going to get those dudes back at the very slow rate of three per round. You're right. probably, you're going to spend the rest of the game trying to right. get your dudes back. Yeah. So a, don't men- don't go for a big. Don't risk everything unless it's for everything. Essentially. Right. Yeah. There, there's there's a mentality I try to convey in Twilight Imperium, which is like it's never over. There's always things that can happen. Mm-hmm. In Dune, it can kind of be over for yeah. you. Like it can, yeah, I agree you can with make that. a big strike and it can crush you. And it's like, uh, you're not, I'm sorry, you're not coming back from that mm-hmm. because based on so and so, it's not like that's always the case. It's not like if you lose a big battle, you're definitely dead in the water. No. But generally speaking, if you lose a big fight and two other players at the table have plenty of stuff, I don't know that you're coming back this game. Yeah. Uh, g- good luck. Yeah. Um, so so yeah that, that those those timed strikes are especially critical because if you do them too soon you really do sacrifice quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh and I think that d- Matt does that about cover all yeah. the really the basic normal stuff we want to go over. Um yeah. so that's kind of our our attempt at going over some basic stuff that you will you will be when you're reading the rule book bu- the rule book you will encounter every single one of those things. Um what we want to do now is do a quick um, kind of tip for each faction. Right. Um, some of these might not make sense until you're actually learning the game um, because we're not giving you that like expansive understanding of every single rule. Yeah. Um, but I also think these are nice because they might uh, entice you a little bit to play it because uh, these kind of reference like what is interesting about each faction and we're going to start with what i think is your favorite faction matt uh, so i'm going to let you talk about quickly, them. It's the atreides yeah. yeah it's quickly becoming my favorite faction at the very least i mean what i'm just working on them the most right now but it, it really feels like the faction at the heart of how this game really operates and i mean it's only fitting considering like the first book is sort of based around the atreides it feels like they got the most love in right. terms of thematic uh, elements. And so the big thing that the Atreides is able to do is take notes. And my number one advice to any Atreides player is to 100% do that as much as possible. Uh, you should be the one player at your table on their phone the whole time taking notes about every single thing that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't even think I take enough notes for what like you could be accomplishing as the Atreides. The game has set this up as a thing that you're allowed to do, and you should 
definitely take advantage of it. Um, even down to the level of like tracking how much spice each person has. Mm-hmm. I don't do that yet, but today we played a game and I could see how that is valuable to know exactly how much spice each player has. Right. Um, because you have all that information, it gives you all of the power in fights because you have the ability to then like f- uh, force someone to tell you what they're doing in a fight. So your fights are based off of the information that you have access to, and you can make fights better for yourself if you can rule out the things you already know and make it about the one thing you don't know yet, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the idea being, as long as you have lots and lots of diligent notes, when you go into a fight and when you want to use that prescience ability, you want to predict what they, what you know, or not predict, but t- have them tell you what they're playing, the, the general idea is if you don't know something about their cards, you need to tell them to tell you what they're playing. And if you kind of have that on lockdown and you can sort of work out the rock, paper, scissors to where it's like, oh, I know that I can definitely play this. Don't worry about cards. Then tell them to play a leader uh, or a, or t- tell you their leader or their spice level or whatever, right. you know, th- right. their, their total battle calculator. But but cards is the most important thing you need to learn first. And then you work your way into, all right, well, let's just then figure out the numbers. Um, but the, the more information you get down on paper, the better. So that that is absolutely my biggest thing with the trick. Yeah, piece. yeah, and and to put it in a kind of a more basic parlance, uh, Atreides, if you are not if you are not keeping track of the cards that other players are receiving, then you are not really taking advantage of their of their ability. So like like kind of consider their commodity that they're good at is information. Yeah. So if you're not keeping track of that information on your own, then you're not really going to be playing them to their full. If it feels like, oh, Atreides is really weak, it's like, yeah, I mean, you have to take notes. Otherwise, they're not yeah. really going to be that good, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, n- next, we can talk about the Harkonnen. Yeah. Um, so the Harkonnen is really interesting. They get uh, more nasty, nasty cards than everybody else. Um, we're going to encourage you, this is kind of a really random tip, but we're going to encourage you to try and buy more cards at the beginning of the game. When the game starts, um, when you get to that first opportunity, uh, like two buy cards to bid, don't yeah. be afraid to go after it, essentially. Right. Yeah, well, the biggest idea here is if Atreides' number one tool is gaining information, Harkonnen's number one tool is withholding information. Sure. Yes. The idea that, yeah, Atreides knows one of the cards that you bought, but you get another one under the table for free. It, it As an Atreides player, it's really, f- really, really terrifying going up against Harkonnen uh, just because there's so much more question marks to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they have more traders and they have all this stuff. So your whole thing is that you need to be using that idea that people have less information about you. And if you can build that surplus quickly, that gives you more power almost over the course of the entire game. Uh, so, so yeah, it's like the quicker you can get to eight cards, the better, because not only is it just more mystery, but it's just more stuff in general. The more cards you have, the better you're probably going to do because right. if you have, I mean, if you get eight cards, you might have a projectile, a poison, a projectile block and a poison block and it's like okay well those are all the things you ever need for almost any fight and then a few extra cards on top of that to like help out that just that sheer amount of things that you can accrue helps and the faster you can get that seems the best path you could possibly take so your early money should probably be sent on cards and you can worry about the forces later 
Honestly, they're kind of the Sarl tribes of yeah, this game. That's true. In that you, it's kind of like the advice we're giving you here is like, it, it's almost like if Isarl didn't start with Neural, we would be like, oh, they should get Neural because you need to be getting as many action cards into your hand as possible. Right. And that's almost exactly how Harkonnen works, uh, except yeah. for you have to buy the action cards. So yep. you need to not be afraid to drop that money on those win win some bids in the early game so you can go ahead and get ahead in the uh, kind of action card-like yep. department. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the Fremen. Fremen is a, a super interesting faction. They're like a lot more territory-based than other factions. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, you're going to be on the left side of the map unless you want to pay. But if you don't want to pay, which you don't, you want to you want to do stuff for free, you're going to be on the left side of the map. And the the thing that I s- we see newer players want to do is drop all of their guys all at once. Just like first first turn, oh, I can drop my dudes for free? Cool, mm-hmm. here they all are. Right. But what that does to you is movement in this game is almost always slower and, and sort of worse than shipment, right? Shipment is I can just land things where I need them to be. And, and if anything, it gives you even more control over movement that, that you can ship first. So, so shipments should be regarded as kind of like your, your precious commodity. That's your, that is your surprise. Movement just sort of happens and people can kind of suss out what you're trying to do. So with the Fremen, the number one tip we can give is don't drop all your guys at once. Like let things play out. Drop a couple guys per round. Accomplish things you need to get. Try to get spice. Like try to get more and more money so that mm-hmm. later on you can pull off way, way bigger maneuvers. Right. Um, I, I would put it this way. Uh, in Dune, uh, generally speaking, for most of the factions, when you when you drop dudes onto the map, they are pretty much committed to that area until they're dead. Um, right. yeah. There is one, there is some exceptions to this idea, um, but for the most part, and especially with the Fremen, when you drop those dudes there, that's kind of their zone. Um, they, they move at a speed of one, um, well, for a minute, it's two, but, but yes. Sure. Regardless, uh, it's I, not I, fast. <laughs> right. It's not fast. Um, they're not going to be moving all over the map. So if your first, uh, if your first round, you're like, all right, I'm going to drop all my dudes for free right here. It's like, cool. That's a big stack. But now they can't do anything else. This is essentially what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about the Spacing Guild already? Yeah. 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 Lead us so, off. Spacing Guild is pretty fun. Uh, they're kind of they're kind of my favorite right now. <laughs> um, Spacing Guild uh, is really good for kind of teaching you the importance of turn order. And those of you that already play a lot of Dune might be kind of surprised at me saying this because in the advanced the advanced rules, Spacing Guild gets to do a lot of weird stuff with turn order. But even in the basic game, I feel like you start understanding that hey, the order of play. Um, who's going first, who's going last, kind of determines the way the flow of the like surprise attacks will go. Right. And I say this because the Spacing Guild, because of how cheaply they can ship units, uh, are the perfect setup for like, a, all right, um, all of a sudden, all my guys are here, um, which is always a fun move to just be like, all right, now I just ship a bunch of guys to this one specific spot. And now I'm going to make a play to win the game. But if you are going first in the order and you do that, well, now everyone has an opportunity to figure out the most optimal way to stop you. Right. If you're going last in the order, it's a very different story. And if they haven't 
already foreseen that you were going to do something like that, which they probably won't. It's the first first game you guys are ever playing. Uh, then they might not even be able to stop you at all, in which case, congratulations, you probably won the game. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> the Spacing Guild, and this this turn order thing is important for everybody. With the Spacing Guild, though, it becomes very obvious because you're yeah. good at taking advantage of it. You're even better at taking advantage of it in the advanced rules. But in the basic rules, it's really obvious like, oh, I can really kind of troll this game right now if I yeah. save my money. If I keep my money together, I can spend it whenever I need it and whenever I have the perfect opportunity to surprise everybody in such a way that that they are just not prepared for. Yeah. The easiest way to think about it is like even in just one singular round, if you are going last, everyone pays you before you get to do your thing which means you automatically get to do more things than everybody else. You get yep. to drop more dudes. So why would you ship all of your dudes like when you're going third when you could wait for a round where you can do more surprise attacks with more dudes and have more money in the bank behind that? Oh, of like, course. You yeah. just got you you need to sort of hold out and wait for that perfect moment to strike. You, if if you're going first round 1, just sort of sit things out, let the money come in, kind of move to places that seem convenient, but don't ship too many guys out, and wait until that turn order moves around until you're going last, and then when you're last or even second to last, it's like, okay, now is when I use these like $40 to do absolutely crazy, crazy stuff. Right. Um, That's in, I actually didn't even think about that relationship with it as well. Um, and it, it's very, very important in the first round. And going into later rounds, you'll just have plenty of money to do stuff with. But yeah, it makes you very aware because in the in the shipping phase, people are paying you in the order that they're going. So the later you go in that turn order, the more money you're going to have in order to do stuff in that phase. Yeah. So yes, a- it, it really does teach you about turn order very quickly. Yeah. Uh, next up is the emperor. The emperor is is a pretty funny little bird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they so they the I think the biggest thing you have to think about with the emperor is you do not start on the map at all. Nothing. And and what you want to do with that ability is pretty important. The emperor is going to make a lot of money, but once they decide to join the you know join the board game, they're going to spend a lot of money too because they've mm-hmm. they've got nothing already there. So I think the general idea that I have with Emperor, and I don't know, I'm not even like 100% confident in this idea, but I think the general idea is to sort of think of your 20 dudes as two stacks of 10 and figure out when those two stacks of 10 are going to be useful. And it's not going to probably be even in the same round, but like round one, find the one territory to drop 10 dudes on and then wait and hang out, and let those 10 dudes do whatever things make the most sense, and then when the next really good opportunity comes up, drop the second stack of dudes down. Right. Uh, Your main thing is that you have plenty of money to drop whenever you want, and you don't already have positions, which means what position you decide to take is completely up to you. You have, like, no limitations on, like, where you decide to end up. Yeah. So, So that idea of of wait it out and see what's the best spot to jump on with a big chunk of, of, of bodies is sort of like your, your best little piece. Yeah. You're, you're good at fighting in the sense that you are, you kind of come at it with like a fresh, a fresh look. You, you don't, you're not committed to anything at the beginning. So when you, to, and, and what this also means is it's very likely that you're going to be taking things from other people 
uh, because they're going to have already gotten it before you get to it. Right. Um, so when you do that, be firm, strike harder because you've got the money to do it and you can already see how many they've got there. So just, yeah, don't, don't, yeah. don't go lightly with the emperor. Yeah. Generally we, what we've seen that works is people that come and they take and hold territory yeah. because you've got, you've got the money. Um, and yeah, yeah. This Very might be fashion. presumptuous of me, but I, I almost feel like emperor is one of the main factions that gets courted for alliances. It's basically a, a emperor and spacing guild, right? The money makers, everybody wants to be al- allies with the money makers because then they get to use the money makers money for themselves. Uh, and, and so for me, the idea of locking down two solid territories is really good with the emperor. Cause then all you have to do is make an alliance and have that person also locked down too. Right. I don't I don't know what the strategy is for Emperor locking down three territories, but I do know that you're going to get courted for any alliance. And so if you can once you have your two stacks down, just have a solid grip on those two places and never lose them, you're in a pretty good position. Yeah. So that that's the general idea I go at when whether I'm playing an emperor or whether I'm deciding to ally with an emperor. I kind of think of it as like, well, I know they got those two you know, areas, so all I have to do is get two more myself. Right. Right. Well, that brings us to <laughs> our final faction the, uh, to talk the about. The other one. <laughs> yeah. The um, kind of ugly duckling when it comes to uh, the basic rules. We were going to talk about this a little bit l- later, but I just want to yeah. go ahead and throw it out there at the beginning of us talking about the Benny Gesserit. Um they are, in general, I think a weaker faction. Maybe, maybe the weakest, but maybe not. I don't know. Still early to say something like that. Yeah. But I, what I will say for sure is that the basic rules doesn't do them any favors. Yeah. Favors. Um, it essentially strips them of a lot of their more interesting, weirder abilities. Um, and what it leaves them with is hard to work with. So I'm going to go ahead and say one of our tips is that. If you are the one that knows the most about the game and you've got five newbies, I think the honorable sweet boy (laughs) thing to do is for you to play the Benny Gesserit. Because I guarantee you, I mean, we (laughs) the first time I played was with a bunch of people and none of us had ever played the game before. They didn't they had never even played any of the other versions. They hadn't played Rex or anything. And the guy that played Benny Gesserit had a miserable time. So what I'm telling you is that I did not follow this advice and man, he seemed really bummed out playing yeah. Benny Gesserit. It was, it's just, it's just the hardest faction to apply. Um, especially when you don't know that much about the game. Yeah. Uh, and in the base, yeah, like I said, in the basic rules, they basically don't get many of their abilities. They, yeah. they, it, yeah. I want to be really clear. This, this advice and this sentiment is really, really, really catered, catered towards, these early playthroughs later yeah. on. And especially in the advanced rules, of course, Benny Gesserit kind of takes off and does all kinds of really interesting things. Really what we're cool talking. Stuff. What we're talking about is in those first few games you play before you understand all the core concepts, you don't have the tools at your disposal to properly do all the things that a Benny Gesserit should do. It's mm-hmm. just, you, you just won't be able to, you don't have the information you need. You won't have, you just don't have all the stuff that you need to do. You don't have the, the toolkit. Um, so for your early games, it's kind of important to almost, this is going to be a really weird tip. Uh, one of the main things, and it, the thing that makes the Benny Gesserit the most interesting faction in the game is they get to, at the beginning of the game, predict a faction that they think is going to win and what round they think they're going to win on. Make yeah. that prediction. 
And then our advice is forget about it. Do not play around the idea that that is important to you. Well, uh, we should we should say the way the prediction works is you make the prediction, and then if if it comes true, you win instead. Right. So it's a, there it's a there great, is a cool school thing. of thought that you are trying to make your prediction come true, and that is definitely outside of your abilities. Yeah, going into the game, like you are not prepared to try and make that happen, and that I think if you focus on it, it is a huge distraction. Yeah, basically. Yeah, the the biggest thing for me would be ignore it completely until the round that your prediction is relevant. Right? If you decided to say spacing guild in round four, you don't think about that prediction until round four, and at mm-hmm. the beginning of round four, you look at the map and you go, "Is there a pretty easy path?" For spacing guild to win the game if right. the answer is no continue to ignore your prediction oh well you didn't get it this time buddy sorry that's okay move on and just just do something else uh continue to try to win the game the normal way but if it's a, if there's any difficulty there there's just not enough you can actually accomplish with base game benny Gesserit with your understanding of the game it's, it's just not going to work out so right. uh what's what is the better advice we have hunter for for benny jesuit players in terms of like how to actually use what little abilities you have left um well i'll tell you this much it's hard to explain um (laughs) so i i will i'll try and nail it for you real quick and i'm gonna try and make it as as general and basic as possible the benny jesuit has an ability called the voice the voice is an ability that you use to essentially make your opponent in battle play a card or not play a card that you have stated it's it'll yeah. be like a type of card and the way that a lot of the cards work in um dune is there is this kind of rock paper scissors thing that happens where it's like i bring you know i bring this uh weapon and you might have a defense for that weapon um and one thing that i have noticed is it's better with Benny Jesuit, and I actually made this mistake today, hugely, right, and even right. the table was telling me not to do it, <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm new, I just want to, and I had already made the choice, uh, I'm not, a, I don't like to go back on uh, on my word if I've said I'm going to do something a certain way, even if it's stupid, I would rather just live with the ramifications of that. Right. Um, so, what, so what I learned from that lesson is that if I have, uh, let's say, a shield that blocks, you know, projectile weapons, um, it is probably better for me to just go ahead and say that they can't use the other type of weapon than it is for me to say, hey, definitely use the projectile thing. Right. Um, right. And the reason is because there is a little caveat to the voice that I did not pay very much attention to, <laughs> which is that if you try and use the voice to tell someone to do something, if they cannot do that thing, then they can just ignore it. Right. So if I if else. I tell Matt, hey Matt, you have to use a projectile weapon against me, and he looks at his hands and he's like, I don't even have one. It's like I did nothing. I didn't right. do anything. Right. Basically. Whereas if I had had a poison weapon, the reason the, the the whole thinking here is if Hunter has the shield, he wants to force me to play the projectile so that the shield blocks the projectile. Right. But he is better off saying, don't play a poison, so that then if I want to play an attack card, my only option left is the projectile 
I'm obviously excluding the idea that the lays gun exists and whatever. That's a whole other problem that they right. have to deal with. But in general, it is better to say no to something than to say you must play something else because you actually eliminate more options. So in general, as the Benny Gesserit, when you're going to those comments and you want to use the voice, look for how you can word what you want to see happen as a negative request. Yeah. Don't play this versus definitely play this right. thing. Right. Um, that probably... That made a, that probably made about as much sense as we can manage right. it to make at this point. <laughs> that but, is as specific as we are going to get today. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, there's that. And, you know, like we said, I think the the more important tip is that Benny Gesserit is really hard in the basic game. Yeah. Um, don't force it on somebody, uh, especially the person. Like, you know, maybe you've got a bunch of people and you all don't know anything, but, you know, one of you is a little less into the game. Don't make them play Benny Gesserit. That's yeah. not... That's not the best way to do it. So that's that's about as specific as we really want to get with any of these factions. Uh, the, the rest you're gonna, you know, you'll you'll figure it as you go. But we had a few more, uh, just really weird specific things that yep. uh, that aren't faction specific, but are just like you need to know this because the 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 rulebook's not especially great at sort of laying some of these things out to you as a new player or if you're if you're you know being taught by somebody there's a few things that are very easy for the teacher to not explain to you because they're just really crazy exceptions to rules that you have to you have to like have happen to you in a horribly disastrous way before right. it's gonna like make any sense i also uh, think a factor in that is that this game has a long legacy so there are some things that you know you might you might be learning the game with someone who's been playing it like for decades. Right. So some yeah. things that they've learned as just being like, yeah, obviously that's how that's always been. Right. Uh, it maybe isn't as well explained in the rule book. Yeah. Uh, basically not to the, pick apart the rule book. It's competent. No. It's just there. Yeah. There are a few things that we yeah. were just kind of like, wait, what? That's a yeah. thing. The, the biggest thing is uh, there's a territory on the, on the map and you need to, you need to seek it out. <laughs> it's called the Imperial Basin. And there's a whole thing in the rulebook about how actually, contrary to any visual indicators, mm -hmm. the Imperial Basin is protected from storms. So as you learn about how the storm moves around the map and destroys things, you learn about territories that are protected from that. Uh, and Imperial Basin looks like a territory that would not be protected from that. But it specifically alone is the whole thing with the Imperial Basin is there is a card that can come up in the game that destroys the area called the Shield Wall and makes the Shield Wall, the Imperial Basin, Carthag, and Arakeen no longer protected. And that's yep. just like something you should know that can happen because if you don't know that and it happens to you, it is game ending i mean it is yeah. a crushing thing and it, it is a part of the pacing of dune you can almost guarantee in most games that the shield wall is going to explode at some point mm -hmm. uh and and so having that in your back pocket to know that the imperial basin is protected actually right now but very easily later on will not be uh is is a pretty pretty big deal uh, if and anything i would suggest people go through the the cards find the card called family atomics and have it re read to the whole group so that everybody can be aware that this thing will happen at some point in the course of the game and that we all need to know how that works right yeah and i mean again they're they're it's very missable it's very like because it's just one minor thing in the rule book so you 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 basically have to figure it out 
um, the hard way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, another thing. This is this is kind of um, this is a question uh, I got a lot um, at the very beginning of the game. One of the first things that you'll do is you'll be dealt four trader cards. These are cards that you can use against the other players to devastating effect. Um, essentially what it means is you, the trader card that you have means that one of the leaders for the other players is actually a trader and will work for you. Uh, and it's really devastating. It's, it's, it's pretty rough stuff. Um, don't, what you shouldn't do is pick your own trader card. Right. If you, if you're dealt one of your own trader cards at the beginning of the game, good for you because that means that no one else got that, got your trader and that, tr that, uh, leader is loyal to you. There's no reason for you to pick it because it's not going back into some sort of relevant deck. The four right. that that are dealt to you, besides the one that you pick, they're just gone. They're that's it. Those are yeah. not going to be in the game. Um, so go ahead. Don't bother picking your own. Pick some. Pick somebody else's, and just remember, hey, that one that one leader yeah. I've got is safe. Yeah, the big thing is to, like, if anything, behind your little sheet, like, mark the leaders of your own that you saw, like, push, you know, kind of separate them from the other ones to be like, hey, those are those are my safe guys, yeah. and the rest are not. Uh, this was a question I routinely had my first couple games, because, you know, there's this big treachery deck, there's all these action cards, basically, that exist. You have no idea what's in those yet, and my big question for the first few games was, is there any way for people to gain more traders? Should I be keeping track of this stuff? And really, no, there isn't. There's no way for anyone to gain another trader. So that information you get at the beginning of the game is really, really crucial information that you sort of need to remember the mm -hmm. rest of the game. If you're the Atreides player, hey, write that stuff down. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, everybody else, like, you got to keep that, that kind of stuff in mind. In your brain. Uh, the next thing is just a really, really important trick uh, to know about movement in this uh in this game which is you, as you're learning the game you might learn in the movement phase that there are these places uh Carthag and Arakeen that have something called ornithopters and ornithopters allow you to move three spaces instead of one like you normally can so normally your movement is incredibly stilted it's just not it's not useful at all basically i mean movement is so slow you can barely get anything done um and the trick you sort of need to know is that all you need is a single unit in either Carthag or Arakeen. And if you have that, all of your units around the entire map can now move three. So the thing that you do when you, especially when you go early in the order or whatever, and you're really trying to get stuff moved around, you can ship just one single unit to Carthag or Arakeen as long as there aren't already two factions there. And if you accomplish that, now you can move the rest of your forces where you need to get them. So yeah. if you're in some tenuous position and you see the storm coming and you're only able to move one space at a time, your shipment needs to be one person to Carthag or Arakeen so that you can then get the rest of your units to a protected area. Uh, and that, that's something that's just really, really e easy to overlook and, and even kind of hard to understand that like you're just allowed to do that. But but that is how that works, and you can totally do it, and you absolutely should. That should, if anything, be a major part of the way you think about movement is when do I need to go ahead and sacrifice a unit, or when do I need to make a major strike at Carthag so that I can hold it so that I can continue to have ornithopters. Yeah. Um, very, very cool trick. I actually, it had not occurred to me to do that until you brought it up for 
this episode, and I'm excited to try that out um, the next time that I play. Yeah. Um, so that's about all that we have for the students. Right. Um, but we want to talk to the teachers real quick. Those yeah. of you that kind of already know the game a little bit, um, we just want to go over some really basic, just like teaching uh, board game stuff. Um, that's just like a lot of this is just kind of, uh, oh, I don't know how to put it. Like it's courtesy stuff. It's just yeah. like, because I mean, whenever you're teaching a game, you're kind of in a position of power compared to them. Um and I think one of the most important ones that we want to start with is let your players make mistakes. Um, don't play for them. When you yeah. play for your players, when you're trying to teach them, a lot of times they won't actually um, like <laughs> like keep the information yeah. in their brain because right. they didn't do it. Uh, people learn a lot better by just like kind of doing and then being like, oh, that didn't work. That was bad. Um, I just feel like they take away things a lot easier. Yeah. Um, and we 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 have definitely seen people that kind of take the approach of like playing for people, and it. I'm not saying it doesn't work at all. A lot of right. times, people do learn by seeing something done, um, but I think you kind of the harder lessons that you learn in just playing yourself and making mistakes, I think stick with you much yeah. much better. The, the the best way to approach this that I've found is it basically becomes just like a matter of I don't know consent, where it's like. If you see a player sitting there struggling, you can sit there and you can offer, hey, do you want any help with like coming up with yeah. exactly what you want to do? But don't just start telling someone what might be the most optimal play. Exactly. Uh, the first thing is maybe they understand the game decently well and they have more stuff going on in their head and they're trying to plan something out later on that they want to see accomplished. And, and you coming in with the current most optimal play might interfere with that but if they don't do it it looks it's like you're adding this whole component to it that confuses things but even if they don't know what's going on like hunter said if you're just telling them what to do they're not playing the board game uh, mm -hmm. and they're not learning things they're not making the mistakes that teach them that lesson my best example for this is not even with dune but a, a long time ago i we used to play axis and allies uh, but I, I wasn't a confident player. I uh, I was playing with people that I just knew were all smarter than me. And Axis and Allies is very easy to lean into your, you know, alliances because they're baked into the game. They're not right. going anywhere. Uh, so I very often would just like play America and t have them tell me exactly what to do. And I never learned anything about Axis and Allies. I enjoyed playing it with people, but I felt like an absolute idiot the whole time I played every single time. So you may think you are helping by kind of giving them ideas of strategies to do, but unless they've asked for it, you're not actually doing them any favors because they're not gaining any new information. All they're doing is following your rubric. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, and also like playing America is boring. Um, <laughs> that's something else I wanted to say. Just about Axis and Allies. <laughs> Um, uh, I think one of the really good ones that we have here that I really want to emphasize is, uh, reading the rule book frequently. This is one that people, you might hear this and be like, Oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to read yeah. it over and over. <laughs> um, but it does help to read the rule book like before and after games. Yeah. Um, especially after I think helps really like set the information in, yeah. um, a lot of times there is with a new board game, a kind of excitement I find that takes takes over where it's like, Oh, I just want to play. You know what I mean? Like, I don't yeah. want to have to read the whole rule book right now. I just want to get into playing. Um, 
But it probably is smarter to really understand a rule book before so that you can play smoothly. But the other thing is that you're probably going to mess stuff up. That's okay. We all do. Um, if you look over the rule book after that uh, game, you are going to realize like, oh, we were doing that wrong. And I yeah. feel like that structure of play and then see what you messed up, very important. Um, and also, it'll, it'll keep the um, pace snappy while you're actually playing the game i get you know everybody starts to disengage if we're consulting the rule book all the time so the other thing about reading the rule book after you play is it kind of takes some of the pressure off yeah like yeah maybe you guys are gonna mess up some rules but you're gonna learn better basically yeah Yeah, i would generally say be prepared Uh, this is especially useful if you are planning to play with the same group routinely which is kind of what we keep talking about is like the best way to play this game but if you're just if you're just doing like a one-off, it is harder to accomplish these things. But I do think generally speaking, it is better to like, we don't know exactly how this interaction is supposed to work. We could sit here for 15 minutes working out, or we could let the, you know, kind of the person in charge just make a call. And we all agree that this might not be how future games are going to work out. And when this game is done, we will check on that ruling. Someone should maybe jot it down or whatever. And we can, we can look at it, remember it for next game and and be better at it later but for now we want to just keep the the rate of play sort of going so that everybody sort of stays interested and stays uh all on the same page um this this last one is the is the weirdest one and i don't even love saying it but uh if you're the teacher well there's two different types of teachers right there's the teacher of the board game who knows this board game very well and you you're not even listening to this advice because you you know how to play the board game and you've taught it for years and you're good. Who we're really speaking to is the person who's kind of like taken the helm. You bought Dune. You're the one trying to show it to your friends, but you don't necessarily know it that much better than everyone else. Uh, my best advice for you is to try to also find other groups to play with. If you can find some a, a couple other people that have played it, uh, this rule book is full of so many exceptions and full of so many rules that you have to read on such a kind of like, well, technically it's phrased this way that you, there are a lot of things that even in reading the rule book and even in playing it a few times, you're going to continue to get things wrong. Uh, I, I genuinely advise like looking up the board game. Geek. There's actually a really great thread thread on board game geek where they are trying to keep track of all of the rules, clarifications, that like developers or play testers or whoever have, have given out because there's all kind. it's basically the FAQ for Dune. Right. Uh, and, and, and being able to consult that kind of stuff is very, very helpful because even when you feel like you understand the rules of this game, there's probably things you're still missing. Uh, and that's even the bigger reason why t- to within a game, not sit there and try to look for things. Cause some things don't have concrete answers and you should just pick a ruling Go with that and not think that you nailed it, right? Just accept that maybe you got the ruling wrong and always be prepared to, in a future game, go back on a ruling that was made in a previous game. Right, right. Um, well, how, how are we feeling? Does that, does that, does that feel like we've kind of touched on everything? I hope good? that covers everything. Uh, the, uh, if, if anybody is new to this show, uh, we are, we're Space Cats, Peace Turtles, and something we often do is a segment called Errata. 
if you feel like we missed something that you think is really critical yes, to yes. learning this game and, and teaching people how to learn this game, let us know and we will include it in our next Dune episode. We want to always be taking feedback from the community. So it's it's really, really important to us. Of We, we definitely don't think we're experts at uh, you know this no. kind of thing or experts at this game by any stretch. So for all of you experts at this game, if you have a really, really amazing piece of advice, please let us know. Send it to us. Our email is spacecast peaceturtles at gmail.com uh and and you can also you know if you join our board game geek guild whatever all the, there's a few different ways you can get in touch with us but please send us that uh, what we what we call errata and we can include it in future episodes so that people have you know all of the information uh that is that is best suited for for what we're talking about here um also uh, just for those for speaking of the discord and like uh tabletop simulator uh, i want to throw out a special thanks to uh corbeck jane for um, playing with us today, but also for uh, his work on the TTS yeah. Dune mod yeah. um, that is out there. And I would totally recommend if you, uh, especially, you know, if you've already bought the game, but it hasn't shown up yet, uh, <laughs> maybe you can go ahead and play it on TTS. I mean, I'm not saying you should do that. I'm saying <laughs> if you've already... It's an option. <laughs> I'm just saying if you've already paid, if, if you've already given Gale Force 9 their money, what a great idea, but to just kind of sample the game on TTS uh, beforehand. I, and also, I want to clarify, I actually don't know that if Corbeck Jane is the only person that's worked no there's other people but but i do know that corbeck jane was a big part of leading the charge on trying to really nail down a a newer update to all this to Mm -hmm. to the dune mod yeah he's a big leader in that in that dune community and it does seem like uh they are they're it's very much like a well i I don't want to say that it seems early um it's pretty good like it like it was very very functional and very usable uh it does feel like from hearing him talk about it it seems like there are some things that might change about it soon but but it is kind of uh, in a, just a tightening phase at this point. Yeah, like, it, yeah. it all worked. It was Absolutely. all great. So, yeah. yeah. Feel, feel free to check that out. Uh, and our, if you head to our Discord, yeah, that is an easy way to get involved in all that. Yeah. So, let's do the rest of our normal rundown. Uh, if you loved our conversation about hats at the beginning of this show and all of the things that you can, uh, you know, all your favorite types of hats, please rate us on your podcast app of choice. Uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts especially. The, the ratings there help improve our visibility and help us teach more people about Dune, more people about Twilight Imperium, uh, and just get more people willing to play those games so that we have more people to play those games with. Yeah. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, at SpaceCatsPod. On Facebook, SpaceCatsPod turtles uh also this fun thing is coming up uh starting next week where hunter is gonna be way more available than he has uh-huh. been uh-huh. in the past and we're gonna have him on twitch twitch.tv slash space cats peace turtles our youtube is ideally gonna start getting way more populated so definitely subscribe to both of those so that you can kind of keep up with things uh yes, hunter you're, yes, you're, yes. you're going you're going full-time and gonna be a twitchman yep uh, I am going to be twitching uh, many days out of the week. Um, I'm going to be uploading to YouTubes. Uh, I'm going to basically be a Space Cats Peace Turtles boy. I'm going to be the first employee of the Space Cats Peace Turtles company. And, and finally, Matt, you will be my boss. And I am so I am overjoyed, basically. Yeah, very, very happy. I'm excited for the Twitch to kick off because uh, there's some things we know we want to do, but there's a lot of things we can't wait to learn that will be fun to do. You know, like we're going to take feedback from the audience and and learn just all sorts of things that are like the most engaging kind of content. In the past, we've done Twitch streams, but they're always sort of like one off little events. But now we're going to be able to do 
a lot, a lot, a lot more. Uh, and yeah. I'm very excited to see where that goes. So please catch us on those and, and kind of join us on that on that new uh, frontier that we're embarking on. You can also find our board game geek guild, uh, bgg.com slash guild slash three one zero three. Uh, we're going to be starting to like update the calendar there with like Hunter's streaming schedule. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll try to get maybe ahead on episodes and let you know what sort of episodes are coming up, but also it's just another place to have great conversations with the people in our specific community. Now that we're branching out even more from just twilight Imperium, uh, we sort of start to have to s- solidify our community within all of the other board game communities. So we really want to start building up our board game geek guild uh, and making that better. You can also find us on Patreon uh, to contribute to the show, to join our tournament happening yes. uh, next year to do tournament. that. Get in there October and November. Uh, But you can also be a part of deciding future games that we talk about. Uh, A lot of stuff on Twitch is going to be done through the Patreon. If you're at the uh, Steve Martin fan club level, you get to help decide a lot of things that Hunter's going to do live on stream. So if you want to be checking in. Coming your way. (laughs) Holy cow. Uh, and finally, please join our Discord for just being a part of the conversation that we're having all the time and and give feedback on these episodes. That's a great spot to give errata on this episode yep. and to uh, see a lot of your Patreon benefits. Uh, you don't have to be a part of the Patreon to join the Discord, but having your Patreon connected to your Discord gives you a lot of added perks. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, I have like one random thing here at the end. Um, my birthday <gasps> is coming up um, on oh. Oct- October 27th i will be turning 30 and this is just something i want to throw out for any um anybody that is gonna be in portland oregon or lives in portland oregon i am having a big comedy birthday party bash thing basically uh i'm also a comedian i should say that for any new listeners i do stand-up comedy here in portland um, and I'm going to be having uh, myself and a bunch of my friends do a really weird, goofy show. Uh, it's going to be very special. Uh, you're going to see a lot of people that are uh, super cool, very talented comedians do stuff they wouldn't normally do. It's going to have a very loose kind of party, fun but vibe. And that is on um, Sunday, October 27th at the Alberta Street Pub. Doors are at 9. Show is at 9.30. It's a completely free show. Um, so if you, you know, if, if, if you listen to the show, if you like the show, uh, I would just be so happy if you came by and even just said hi. I would super appreciate it. I am turning 30. I am leaving my 20s behind me. You are literally going to see me get older before your <laughs> eyes. I will get old me uh, my face will get older my hair will turn gray 30. i will get stinkier and even less athletic than i am now and i'm i'm so god i'm so ready so sick of the 20s i just want to roll <laughs> them off well and and the other thing we have to say that i i completely forgot to plug at the beginning is the last day of your third of your 20s is going to be a live stream because oh, yes. guess what Part of the Twilight Imperium side of this podcast is next week's episode is a Space Kitty episode with Mantis, and that ragamuffin is making us play what is called Frankendraft, which is where we've completely jumbled up all of the different abilities and components throughout Twilight Imperium, and we throw them into a bag, and we deal them out to each of us, and we can play completely new factions that don't exist and don't make any sense and are completely overpowered and ridiculous. We are going to be playing that game on Saturday, October 26th at, what's the time, at 10 a.m., 11 a.m.? Ooh, I better know this. 
Well, it it pay attention to our to our social media if you want to watch it because we will we will put in, uh, we will put the exact deets there. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Find us on Twitter and everything, and we'll we'll get all this other. It'll definitely be uh, Saturday morning ish. We're kind of working out the times with all the players still, but uh, but expect that uh, earlier in the day Saturday if you live in America. Yeah, and what next time you hear from me on this show, I will be in the territory of like. Just working for you, basically. Uh, just working for yes. yeah, why, and and by you I, I mean the, the listeners, power. not no, you, it's Matt. Me. I didn't mean it's you. Me. No, I have the power. You, <laughs> <laughs> what are the ben- have we, t- we? We need to talk about benefits. Is what we need to talk about. <laughs> I want dental. Okay, I'm the I'm the only one who benefits in this exchange. <laughs> Uh, I am uh, no joke, super, super excited about that. Um, and yeah, just expect to see uh, a lot more, a little old me. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let the spice flow, right? That's uh, that's going to be oh, our new sign new off. Outro? Oh, God. I don't know what it is. I think at the end of every Dune episode, we'll be like, All right, let the spice flow, baby. Let the spice flow, baby. Yeah. What is the spice? Is it cayenne? Uh, <laughs> Pepper. They say it's, it? it smells like cinnamon, right? Oh, they do say it smells like cinnamon. So it is. It, so it's literally cinnamon. <laughs> it's just that's how cinnamon works in the Dune universe. <laughs> it would be funny if they if if uh, in Dune they discovered the cinnamon roll and then they were like, you know what, this space travel stuff, eh, it's not as good as cinnamon <laughs> rolls. Like it's we used to do space travel with this, but now we just like bakeries, dude. Thanks for listening to Space Cat's Peace Turtles, and thanks to Brian Capillus for the use of his music. You can find more at wanderinglake.bandcamp.com. The spice must flow.